0: and welcome back to Caught Offside, the podcast that's connecting brands, media, sport and entertainment companies with fans. I'm absolutely thrilled today to welcome Tim Godfrey from Hexagon Cup to join us. Welcome Tim. Thanks for having me. How are
1: you? I've just got back from a week in Vietnam and Hong Kong talking about paddle so very relevant to come here and explain.
0: Even more delighted that you uh, stopped (coughs) off on your way back to come by and have (laughs) a chat with me today so thanks again for that. So Tim do you, um, for the Listeners out there, do sure. you want to kind of give an overview of a bit of your background and then like the phenomenon that we get hearing around Padel and the Hexagon sure, Cup and what sure. it is?
1: Yeah, so I, I've been involved in sport now for about 15 plus years. Um, most recently, more so focused in the kind of sports rights holder space. Um, so back in got 2014 now, I helped with a team of, um, uh, team of executives. We launched Formula E. Uh, which is now one of the fastest growing motorsports in the world, um, electric, um, single seater, um, and was really there to disrupt an already quite, let's say, established um, sports space with Formula 1. Yep. So that was kind of when I got the, let's say the thirst or the interest for disruptor sports properties. And then from there, I went on to SailGP uh, where I was their first CMO, which is now, you know, one of the fastest growing international sailing series backed by Oracle and Larry Ellison. Um, and again, that was, it had all of the hallmarks of what Formula E had in that it disrupted a fairly traditional space uh, with a new concept. And then um, from from CellGP, I went into the professional triathletes organization, which, again, had all of the elements that I liked um, as a sports executive, not going into necessarily somewhere which, you know, is a more established sports brand is going into somewhere where you can really make a change. Um, And triathlon, you know, everyone knows it's a mass participation sport. Ironman has dominated it for many years. And so what the PTO was was really there to do was, again, was to disrupt um, the status quo, let's say, and they formed an allegiance with all of the pro athletes um, to create a model which was backed by Sir Michael Moritz of Sequoia Capital, although he actually invested um, personally in, in the PTO project. Yeah. So those three properties really formed the backbone of for the last 10 years for myself. I've then moved into paddle tennis, which has just blown up recently. The participation numbers are kind of through the roof is widely considered to be the fastest growing sport in the world i think in spain it's the second most played sport behind football yeah wow so as an example you look at that as a top line stat and it just it blows your mind and so once i'd exited um, the pto i decided to take up some advisory positions in hexagon cup which is launched by some of the spanish founders of formula e they've launched into into paddle tennis with a new format which is going to debut in Madrid next year and it's going to be a five-day tournament. So essentially it's a team-based format rather than an individual-based format with team franchises, one of which is owned by the league and the five others have been sold to international celebrities and international sports stars. And I think it's the perfect moment to launch a a championship like this or a tournament like this. Um, Paddle, again, even just coming from Asia, where it's still relatively new, people are talking about it that it's going to be the next big growth sport. So you have kind of elements in Europe whereby it's already quite developed in in Spain, Scandinavia, and then there's other little growth pockets like the UK, Germany, Belgium. And obviously it was founded in in Mexico and Latin America. So there's already some quite well-developed markets from a participation standpoint. But really where the opportunity is, is to turn it into a sport that is consumed by millions of people around the world.
0: We've all seen lots of headlines and the news around it. And you, you mentioned the franchise model within all of that. Is, is that franchise model different to what you've been involved in in some of the previous businesses that you were talking about? Earlier? Yeah, I mean, I mean,
1: Cell GP runs a similar kind of team model whereby the league owns the teams to begin with, and then it gradually sells them off as they become more established. I think they've just sold the US team to a group of investors. So I think CellGP has some similarities. Formula E and the motorsport side is a little bit different um, because they they tend to be purchased by manufacturers or OEMs. Whereas Paddle, I think is more similar to things like TGL and Live Golf and Kings League, whereby there's a well-known celebrity who has a real interest in the sport or they just see huge growth potential from an investment. But I think at the levels we're talking, They just love the sport. So Robert Lewandowski, who's the Barcelona striker, you know one of the greatest goal goal scorers of our generation, he's bought a team in Hexagon, which really I think is just incredible. You know, I think he has a Instagram following of forty five million. Yeah. So immediately you're bringing his audience to Paddle. So Paddle as a sport is popular, but it's even more popular with someone like Lewandowski backing a team. Andy Murray has purchased a team rafa nadal academy has purchased a team then we have the hollywood a-lister eva longoria who's purchased a team so we think we've got a quite a nice mix but they all i think the key point here is they all really like paddle so they're not just doing it as a kind of business interest they're doing it both business and they have a keen interest in it so tim gotta ask the question yeah heard of the hexagon cup hearing a lot about paddle to spend quite a lot of time in the us what's the difference between paddle and pickleball good question and it gets asked a lot i think the main thing that i see with paddle is it's a cross between squash and tennis so with paddle it's similar to squash in that you have the game is played in kind of an enclosed um, kind of cage on the on the side and then glass walls on the back so you can actually play the ball off the back so that's similar to squash then the rules are almost identical to tennis obviously you're playing doubles in paddle um, and it can really only be played In doubles whereas pickleball it almost sounds a little bit like badminton because the ball is aerated so kind of the ball has holes in it it's slightly more tinnier sound you don't have a cage around you so that way it's a little bit more like tennis but the rules are different so i think one of the things that we have to do as an industry is actually explain that more coherently, to the likes of the sports market who who are intrigued by it, we know that pickleball is you know very, very popular in the US. I mean, even Eva Longoria, who's part of Hexagon on the paddle tennis side, she has a she already has an interest in major league pickleball, I believe. Yeah. So I think that where I think paddle has a lot of potential is that it's very popular in the US but also outside of the US. Whereas pickleball tends to be quite popular, in just in the US yeah. at the moment. Although there are courts now starting to pop up in all sorts of places, so I think that I think it's all additive at the end of the day. You know, people always say, "Oh, paddle's going to overtake tennis," or, you know, is it pickleball versus paddle? Yeah. I don't really see it like that, you know, I, I think it's all it's all additive, you know, whether you're a sponsor or a broadcaster, yeah. going into the space, you want to have a rich environment of various different disciplines.
0: We spent a lot of time on previous podcasts talking about some of the traditional business models in sport, revenue models and constructs around all of that. Where do you see Paddle in terms of like revolutionising this intersection between the sport and fans itself? Because yeah. In some of the more traditional arenas, football, for instance, it's very much driven by the clubs themselves and the fans seem to be part of it, but not inherent in it. What, what does that look like for you guys?
1: Yeah, I mean, I think you, you've got the traditional tour, which is now owned by Premier Paddle, which is kind of, you know, if you want a comparison, it would be the ATP tour or the WTA tour. So you're looking at annual, multiple, lots of volume of tournaments. And it's, I would say it's very sporting. So, you know, it's very much about the rankings. It's very much about who beats who, who wins, who loses, right? You need those core components for any sport to, to thrive. And I think paddle's kind of done that quite well. One of the areas that we think does have some area for improvement is on the production and the distribution and the digital and the social, where I don't think it's necessarily been a focus. Um, it's hard to film a squash court. It's hard to film badminton. It's hard to make it look exciting. It's not like Formula One or football or cricket where you have these amazing skill moments whereby you have a backhand down the line and everyone gets it. It's a winner. Whereas in a squash court, it's kind of quite hard because the rallies are long. Yeah. So I think we have to invest as a sport in how do we convey this to the fans in a much more engaging way? And I think it, that's down to data. Uh-huh. Um, so to date, I think there's been a, there's been an okay layer of data to the broadcast, but it certainly hasn't been anywhere close to what it could be. So I think one of the things that Hexagon is going to try and do is how do we layer up the data? How do we layer up the fan data The uh, and, and really convey it in a way that is engaging for the audience and also lower the age demographic? Yeah. that's one of the things that we're going to be focused on you know it's a very paddle as a participant sport is in that bracket of kind of let's say 40 to 45 how do we lower that how do we get younger fans engaged in the sport so i think it all has to be about the consumer right i think you've got to get that part right Um, and i think having one tournament right now that we've announced we can focus in on that quite yeah quite heavily so it's going to be a fan driven event in Madrid next year there'll be a fan zone there'll be a light show in the stadium there'll be halftime. you know all the different entertainment areas that you get with sports presentation and showing data on the on the on the screens as well so how do we make it more like an NBA game rather than just a standard kind of tennis or paddle tournament I was thinking like there's some synergies there with some of the esports
0: like clients that we've worked with over time where They obviously have a physical live event which gets 20,000, 30,000 people that buy tickets to go and watch that. But then the wider audience is never, ever going to be sitting there. They're streaming it, they're downloading it because they've got a passion
1: because they play those games at home. And maybe there's some synergy there. What do you think? That's right. I mean, things like Twitch. Yeah. You know, in the creator economy, why can't we stream it live globally on Twitch with, you know, creators who are putting their own commentary on it? We've seen that a lot actually on TikTok already. There's lots of TikTok creators who are absolutely obsessed with Paddle. And it's mainly in Spain, right? And that's, But that's okay to focus in on one market. But I think we've got to look at doing things differently, whether that be on screen. So what does the consumer actually receive? And also at the event. Um, and I think with our more kind of exhibition style format, I think we can do that because we're not so focused on, in on like... Obviously, rules and regulations are important, yeah. but we can flex a little bit more, I think, than the governing bodies can. A lot of the focus you've
0: had previously in some of those organisations has been around like very focused around media rights and looking at the distribution and driving a level of revenue. What does monetization mean to Paddle and also... Where's the focus in terms of media rights and your role within that yeah, right now? Yeah, great,
1: great, such a great question for a, for a niche sport because it is all at the top, right? So tier one properties, we've just seen the Premier League deal, you know, on paper, it's phenomenal. And it tends to go that way because that drives advertising revenue. It drives subscription revenue. It drives their businesses because there's so much demand for it. The other sports have to think about things, I think, a little bit. Differently and also have longer pathways. So if you look at the triathlon business that I've just come from, it was it had to have VC investment. It had to because there's no other way to to run it. It's going to take, let's say, it takes six years to get that properly running um, with revenues. Um, you need a backer, and we had we had the benefit of having Sir Michael Morris backing that business. So, but if we come back to some of the more constituent parts you know sponsorship for those properties is always and it is for paddle certainly is for hex and cup like we have to have a very diverse and varied look at sponsorship in terms of um, what are the partnership um, models what are the packages how are we pricing it you know that has to be our first go-to i think media rights is always going to be a it's more to drive the sponsorship value rather than seeing any direct return however i will say I was surprised in Monaco around Sportel, the demand for Hexagon Cup and the demand for paddle content was it it was crazy, you know, versus some of the other sports that I've been to, whereby you are really having to drive that sell and really having to explain why it's important for the broadcaster to take those rights. It was actually the opposite with Hexagon. And I think that's down to the fact that so many people are playing it at the moment so if you compare paddle to sailing or motorsport or even premier league football or anything like that it, people can't relate to it so whereas the a lot of the buyers and the people commissioning this content they played paddle last week and absolutely loved it or they're playing next week or their friends told them how amazing it was so then when a new paddle tournament launches the interest is immediately there because people know what it is so i think that always helps with the the initial conversations but for Hexagon, it, it, it's all about sponsorship to begin with. I think the team franchises are an amazing commercial yeah. asset that we've already sold. So we've already sold five. We could have easily sold 10 in the first year without any issue at all. Um, and then obviously you've got the ticketing of the events, yeah. five days in Madrid at Madrid Arena, um, hospitality. And then I think they're your core revenue streams. I actually think on the media side, it'll be it'll be low we know that and I'm happy to say that you know openly pe- you know, people know um, the niche sports rights struggle to begin with and yeah. it's a longer pathway but I do think we might see some interesting returns in the first few years because in certain pockets Latin America obviously Spain Mexico there is demand for it yeah and the channels are going to want that content everybody's talking about paddle. everybody's
0: trying to consume it and like from a participation perspective but also get involved with it is that like the value proposition to the sponsor versus it being some mass
1: participation sport that they're going to get eyeballs for which is what uh, the traditional model is right that's right i think it's it's such an interesting point um on the participation side i think there's an element where broadcasters and sponsors know that there is interest there yeah but they're asking us what are you going to do to make it engaging what are you going to do to grow the audience what are you going to do to improve the sport so i think there's a there's an exception or people accept the fact the paddle is booming what people don't accept and are challenging us on and which is for us to prove it is that we can make it engaging and we can grow the audience but the participation angle is really important it's actually more important than i thought it was going to be i.e i was in hong kong last week and immediately the buyer was saying how, well, there are no no courts here. So I get it that it's booming everywhere and it's, you know, everyone's, it's really popular, but there are no courts here. So no one's playing it. So no one's going to watch it in simple terms. So from a rights owner standpoint, we need to work with the guys and businesses that are building the infrastructure in order for the whole flywheel to work. If there's no infrastructure, if no one's playing it, certainly nobody's going to watch it. So it's about the whole industry coming together and making sure that there's enough courts, there's enough tournaments, there's enough professional tournaments, there's enough great um, TV production, it's on the right channels. You know, it has to be everything together rather than just one single thing.
0: Yeah, I
1: think that makes total sense.
0: Or you become very good friends with Taylor Swift and Travis Kelce and they have a franchise (laughs) between
1: them. Exactly.
0: I mean, mean, yeah, the celebrity angle is only gonna grow the sport. I think it's interesting when you, you talk about kind of like the holistic demographics being quite very narrow right 40 to 44 in that area and wanting to look at to say Gen Z which is where everybody wants to go at the moment and we, we profiled out soccer audiences yeah. and the difference between the US and the UK alone right UK average age of somebody who's interested in football is like 40 plus yeah in the US the core audience is 16 to 24 yeah so have you guys thought through kind of how you can like go after that target market? Yeah, and
1: it's actually one of the core elements to the team format. So the six teams, each team has six players, two men, two female, but most importantly, two next gen players who are all under the age of 22. So immediately you've got engagement from not only the, the players who are going to be actually playing, but their fans as well. And obviously we hope to build a pathway for those next-gen players to become pros. But can we bring their fans along with them and into the paddle ecosystem? You know, So I think the next-gen element is really important, but we have to put enough emphasis on it. We have to put enough production behind the matches, right? And we have to, you know, can we get those next-gen matches on from a live broadcast standpoint? Can we fill the stadium in and around those next-gen matches? Because... If there's no one in the stadium, no one's going to want to watch it because there's no there's no, no, no FOMO's, no atmosphere. No. So I think the next gen thing is important. Um, how do, how we curate the content is important. What platforms it's on is important. This isn't just a linear broadcast. This is, it has to be more than that. Yeah.
0: What what sponsors asking you for around like some of the deals you're putting forward? Is it? Minimum guarantees they're giving you is it? Hey, there's a minimum guarantee plus rev share. Yeah.
1: How, do, how are they evaluating the success of the partnership that they're yeah. going to put in play th- with you? I think you? initially with a niche sport, in a way, it's quite traditional still. They still want to know what TV channels you're on. Yeah. Because I think that's the barometer of oh, these guys are serious. If you turn around immediately and you say, "We're going to stream on our own channels. We do some social." They're just not interested. So from a pure, the first basic step is, am I is my brand going to get any awareness? Is it going to get any reach? Then I think it moves down into more, how can I activate? What's your audience? And they they start to drill down. I think with paddle, there's already a racket sport ecosystem from tennis, which is already quite mature, actually. So I don't know how many partners we're going to end up with in Madrid, but it's going to be a lot. So I think that shows you that although paddle is a new sport from a consumer kind of tv standpoint content standpoint professional standpoint yeah. it's actually quite mature in the participant standpoint of all the suppliers and the court manufacturers the rackets the balls everything is is kind of quite mature so immediately they're going to want to partner with a new tournament in the space so that part i think is is going to be relatively straightforward i think the big challenge for something like Pad is how do you scale it how do you move out of the paddle sponsorship ecosystem and move into other genres and that's in a way what we try to do and is what's happening in triathlon at the moment triathlon has one of the most affluent audiences in sport i think in north america the stat is the average household income is about two hundred twenty thousand us dollars for a triathlete which is the highest even higher than golf but the issue they've had is there's been no product to serve them right so the big banks the big fintechs the big credit card businesses, they've just focused on tennis and golf because it's a pro tour. Um, and that's what triathlon is trying to do. So I think that's quite interesting. How do you break out of the endemic brands into the brands that aren't connected to the sport already? You've got to prove out the model. You've got to prove it's big enough. You've got to prove the audience is there. But with that, you need a long pathway and a lot of investment and patient backers and, and so forth.
0: I think you've, you've used some words that I don't necessarily always encounter when I'm talking to sporting businesses or rights holders, so to speak. You've mentioned the word consumer quite a few times, though, rather than fan. Is that like the mission of Paddle is to go, these are consumers that we want to elicit fandom from rather than some of the other organisations we've dealt with? It's very much around fans rather than
1: looking at direct to consumer as an inherent business model. I think it has to be. I think it has to be now with all of the tech that's available if you're not planning to go directly to the consumer, at some point, it doesn't have to be tomorrow. And that's why I've always gone with a more of a hybrid kind of distribution mix, rather than saying we're going to be all direct to consumer or we're going to be all broadcast. I don't buy that. Um, I think you have to have both. And I think where Paddle is interesting uh, on the consumer standpoint is that, yes, there's already a tour. Yes, there's already, already some legacy contracts and some legacy partnerships but how do we disrupt that and is paddle ready for it is the paddle consumer ready for it so i think the hexagon cup in madrid will be interesting you know we'll test out some some things and we'll we'll, we'll learn probably no doubt a huge amount but how do we turn those consumers into followers of hexagon followers of each of the teams are they then going to go and buy their merchandise are they going to come and watch at the you know at the event would they then pay to watch direct to, you know to get the feed directly on their device i think we know that that part we actually know right so in scandinavia in sweden finland all, all those areas we know people are paying for it so the propensity to buy is there already in those dense markets yeah. whereby the participation is through the roof and that's what i'm saying if let's say in singapore and hong kong in indonesia the participation goes through the roof and the infrastructure is there we know that people will then certainly in those growing kind of middle classes they're going to have the wallets to buy a match so then it's about pricing
0: it's also down to the fact of like understanding that there's a relative curve no different to any kind of like life cycle marketing program that you'd see and i think you're
1: again your language of using like the term like people following and then get them to buy yeah i think that's the part that i think anyway organizations tend to forget yeah they tend to forget that right now i would consider myself a i'm a fan of man united but I don't really do anything else. I just what I watch them, but there's no there's not then the follow on. And maybe I'm kind of out, you know, I've kind of moved from being that engaged of buying season tickets and memberships and shirts and everything else and I've kind of moved out of that now. But how do we turn the how do we turn hexagon or any rights holder business for that fact into a really commercialised business which doesn't necessarily need to rely on media rights as yeah. an example? I think it might be slightly easier for you guys to
0: operate at that model because you've got obviously large European clubs you you look at Real Madrid and Barcelona and obviously United are involved in in there as well the size of their followers are phenomenal on one level and then the level of consumption and purchasing of their products is relatively low against it and maybe it is down to the fact of not having the products available for fans to consume or understanding that the life cycle of the fan or follower has changed and is different over time Like as you said you consume Man United through watching rather than purchasing that's right but there's probably propositions or, that you or, would or, engage with. Yeah,
1: or indirectly, actually. Yeah. Because, you know, if we talk about the Premier League deal for a second, yeah. at what point does the Premier League go, we're going to do this ourselves? And that, that that's a huge debate at the moment. Yeah. Huge debate at the moment. Because it's quite risky on one side. But on the other side, could be a huge upside for them. So I'm buying directly through Now TV for a Man United game. Yeah. Really, that should be directly to the club. Now, it should be directly to the club. So I think there's so many interesting things on the direct-to-consumer part, but I think sports organisations have to start thinking like that rather than just, oh, I'm going to build as many fans as I can. Okay, yeah. but what are you going to do with them? How, how big does the fan base actually need to be? You know, in triathlon, we spoke about um, quite a lot how there's actually a really engaged fan base already. Yeah. They're buying products, they're doing triathlons. So actually, if we were going to go direct-to-consumer, you actually don't need to grow the fan base. Which is a really odd because everyone comes, oh, we're gonna grow and we're gonna have a hundred million fat well no, you don't need to do that. Yeah. You know, if you go direct to consumer and they each pay X amount per event, that that's your media rights done. Yeah. But then the challenge with that is that does it doesn't have the reach for the sponsors?
0: Yeah, that's that's so, the, the paradigm. I yeah. think again, harder for the big mass distributed course, yeah. models like football, for instance, it it's impossible to shift focus away hundred percent from commercial yeah. and sponsorship. I think the construct around a direct consumer or the fourth revenue pillar is the way to do it. And like to your point, the challenge here isn't to go after like, getting those hundreds of millions of fans to spend money. And we talked about this at SportsPro in Madrid recently as well. Was It's about, well, what if I could double the size of your database? That's right, yeah. And that might be going from 10 million to 20 million. Or in some cases, what if I could get a million fans of your club to spend money with you? That's right. Right, that incremental revenue is almost on a par with most of the sponsorship deals that they're selling as well. Exactly. What traditional sport would be attractive for you to go into disrupt mm-hmm. in two, three, four years' time? God, and...
1: that's, that's a hell of a question. I think you've asked me one of these beforehand. Actually, <laughs> I've got to keep um, trying. I want the answer. Do you, do you know what? I, I think I have to say I think golf is quite interesting at the moment. Yeah. You know, for obvious reasons, right? You know, it's trying to go through a period of consolidation, but is finding the... You know, there's so many levers that are being pulled at the moment. There's player power, there's sovereign wealth funds, there's big funds in the US. That is a sport that is really attractive because the audience, we know that we know there's a big audience there. Um, So that I think golf is quite interesting. There's some new brands that are coming into it. Um, I think tennis, tennis has the ability right now to change. We know that. You got ATP and you got WTA. You got two separate organizations running the women's game and the men's game. That is also ripe for change. Where is that going to come from? You know that that's quite interesting. Is it going to come from the Middle East? Is the you know the the talk of one tennis? I think it was. You know, is that going to come to fruition? So I think those two sports, because they have such a legacy, yeah, the Grand Slams in tennis. They are just that is so hard to compete with. Wimbledon. On a you know over two, over the two weeks in the summer is unbeatable as a sports property yep. for brands for media rights for, for broadcasters for for the consumer the, the experience is sensational so how much of that does need to be disrupted that's a that's an interesting question to pose I think it's doing pretty well um, so golf and tennis pr- probably would be the ones I'd look at interesting answer I like it yeah
0: final thing on here right now is and clearly biased in wanting to ask this sure where does data fit within all this? And you mentioned a bit of it earlier on, but yep. I'm particularly interested to know around, I guess, the strategy around developing your own first party data yeah. versus relying on the guesswork of
1: surveys. Yeah. I had a really interesting conversation about this in uh, Vietnam around the uh, mass participation conference, which, which we were just a part of. And obviously in that part of the world in Asia, it's very, t- it's table tennis in badminton. They're very popular yep. sports, right? If paddle and pickleball are similar to badminton, and table tennis, actually. This is the similarities there. How do you go after that audience? And how, and how do you win that audience? Because if you win that audience in Asia in a sport-like paddle, that could be pretty interesting. Yeah. So as a challenge to any marketeer going into a paddle business or a pickleball business, how do you go and not necessarily take fans, but how do you transfer some of the volume in audience that those sports have in Asia in the big markets, China, Indonesia, Malaysia, and actually get them interested in paddle. Really interesting concept on that. Thank you no again. Worries. Thanks so much,
0: Tim, for making no time to come on the,
1: the podcast today. And
0: obviously thank you everybody else for, for listening. Don't forget to subscribe, share like caught offside. We'll be coming back to you guys soon. Thank you all.